Well, my name is Solomon Abaki, for them that are joining us for the first time here, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Midtown. Today I'm going to share about, it's a, it's a new series we're beginning uh, on Luke chapter 15, and so today I'll be tackling from verse 1 to verse 10, and the title of the teaching today is The Work of the Trinity in a Lost Soul. The Work of the Trinity. Just tell your neighbor, The Work of the Trinity. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, the work of the Trinity <laughs> in a lost soul. <laughs> you guys weren't sure about that. <laughs> so we see from uh, this scripture, in the Eastern culture, of course it, it's addressing the Eastern culture, but it's also, I would say, we're equating to it as believers. In the Eastern culture, they believe that when you ate with people, it was considered that in a real sense, you're becoming one with such people. What we call mystical union of breaking bread and sharing a meal together. What we know today as communion. And that's why the Pharisees and the scribes were very outrageous. Like, how can you have communion with sinners and tax collectors? I mean, we've never done that. We, people who practice the law. It shouldn't be like that. So Jesus wanted the Pharisees, as he was addressing them here, to realize that their outrage uh, at his welcoming of sinners was wrong. And they ought to have been celebrating the fact that the lost were turning to God. After all, heaven was rejoicing. Why can't these people rejoice? If the heavens is rejoicing and they know the Lord, they have studied the scriptures, why can't they rejoice? Why should they just be outrageous? So the Pharisees, one thing they believe, the Pharisees and the scribes, one thing they believe is that God and the angels were proud of them because they kept the law, because they were so diligent. In fact, they pictured, they pictured God bragging on them like he was bragging on Job. If you've started the book of Job and Satan appeared, you know, and then God tells Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This guy is an upright guy. He's a blameless guy. You know, the one who fears me with reverence. The one who abstains and turns away from evil because he honors me. So these guys, the Pharisees and scribes, who are equating themselves like, you know, God looks from heaven. You know, most of the time we say the heaven is up there. And so God looks from heaven and is like, ah, that guy is so good. He's blameless, he's upright. And that's how the Pharisees were handling themselves. So while... God, on the other side, as he smiles on the Pharisees and scribes, he was like, he had a clouded face. And he looked at the tax collectors and sinners with a clouded face. The Pharisees and the scribes, they thought, as they stood poised with these guys and seeing Jesus, all that he does as he ate with sinners, he they thought that, you know, God was like having a lightning balls in his hands and he's ready to strike these sinners. That's how they saw God on their, on their end. But Jesus tells them they don't have, they are not seeing things quite right as he's addressing them. God isn't an angry judge itching to condemn. He's not an angry judge itching to condemn anyone. But he's a concerned shepherd searching for the lost. 
And when he finds them, his hands do not have lightning bolts. You know, as I was growing up, I thought, like, you do wrong, and then you'll be strike the next moment with whatever comes. And that's what we see in the scripture in the Old Testament. Eh? But if you, we study it out, out of context, we don't see the God that normally is being portrayed in the scriptures. But we know that the God we serve, Jesus, is concerned in searching the lost. And when he finds them, his hands are not howling at these lightning bolts, but his hands are there to embrace us. That's what Jesus does. He comes and embraces, and then he lifts us up. Not only embracing, but he lifts us up to display us. And his hands also restores us. That's what he does. In fact, when you read Psalms chapter 23, verse 3, he says, The Lord who is the shepherd, the good shepherd, he restores my soul. Whenever I talk about a soul, it means my mind, my will, and emotions. And those are the areas that the enemy comes and targets and affects us. But the Lord says, I've come to restore your soul. And he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. So it's never about my name, you know, my namesake. Or whatever I do that I mean them being led to the path of righteousness. But it is the Lord who is orchestrating all these things to lead me in the path of righteousness. Now, as we see, Jesus is not just saying that the Pharisees and the scribes had no need to repent. It doesn't mean they were, well, you know, all that. They were every bit as lost as the tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is simply calling them to realize that their attitude toward those who are lost is all wrong. Instead of being all judgmental towards sinners, they ought to have been concerned for the eternal destiny. And when you look at ourselves, how many times we go to the street and we find like, oh, I'm more righteous than the other person. Yeah, I'm more better than the other person. Yeah, God really looks at me like, yeah, Solomon prays, Solomon reads the Bible, yeah, Solomon does all this and that. And without knowing, you're becoming judgmental. Or you meet a drunkard guy and like, oh, I'm better than that person. There's a time I remember when I was a student in India and I was in a bus and then the bus was very crowded. And then a drunkard guy came and was like making all noises. And in my heart, I was like, I'm better than this guy. And then I got a rebuke from the Lord like, no, I created that person in my own image. And I just love him just, just like I love you. It's a challenge that Jesus was posing for, for these guys here. So when the Pharisees and the scribes saw the tax collectors and sinners coming to Jesus to hear and be changed by him, they ought to have rejoiced that the flock of God was being enlarged. How much more can we rejoice when we see a drunkard person, when we see someone who is committing sin outside, getting into the fold? That's what the challenge was giving these Pharisees and the scribes from this scripture. And maybe today you might be, it's your first day, and, and you feel like the religious community might have rejected you. The high society might have refused you. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ will receive you. Solomon might not receive you because I perceive you differently when I look at you. But Jesus looks at your heart and he receives you. 
You might not fit into religious community or society, but Jesus Christ will always receive you. There is a short guy here that is mentioned in the Bible. How many of us know the short guy? I don't know how tall he was, but he was the shortest. Because the Bible mentioned him. There is no any other short guy being mentioned in the scriptures. Zacchaeus. You remember this guy? And he heard about Jesus coming. And so because he was short, and I believe the guys around him were quite tall, they couldn't see him. So he ran further ahead and then went to a sycamore tree to climb. Of course, a sycamore tree means a place of clarity, strength, potential. So he thought, this is a place I can have clarity. It's full of potential. And so as he climbed the tree, which has so much leaves, go and do your research, so much leaves, no one could be seeing him, but he could see what was going on. So he thought to himself, like, ah, I'm in the right place. No one will see me, but I'll be able to see Jesus. But it was wrong. Because the Bible says, and when Jesus came to that place <laughs> where this guy was hiding, he looked up and saw him. It's amazing. You can be invisible to people, but you can't be invisible to Jesus. If he wants your life, he will find you wherever you are. Whether it's in a tree or in the wilderness, as we looked last time, where there's no any other person, Jesus finds you. And so Jesus said to this guy, Make haste and come down, Zacchaeus, for today I must stay at your house. Talk about inviting yourself. <laughs> you know, being invited, but inviting yourself. And Jesus, the only person who can do that is Jesus. <laughs> to invite us himself and say like, and no one has ever refused. That's the beautiful thing. No one has ever refused as he invites himself to this guy. And the Bible continues to say, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. It's amazing. Once a person knows that Jesus really cares for me, I thought I was invisible. There is so much joy that comes out of the heart of that person. And then Jesus said to him, today, not any other day, today, the Bible says, today salvation has come to this household. Is it amazing that it's not only come to Zacchaeus, but it has come to his whole family. When Jesus comes, it only not comes to transform you, but it comes to transform the whole household. Because he is a spiritual son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. But the amazing thing here, as I'm talking about the work of the Trinity in a lost soul, oftentimes when we read Luke chapter 15, we review this as three parables. And I grew up knowing it is a three parables, but the Bible talks about parable. It doesn't just speak about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. It's a singular thing, parable. It is one parable in three movements, or what we call one song with three stanzas. For you, if you're not musical, forgive me, I'll explain this to you later on. (laughs) What do you mean by stanzas? Like verse one, verse two, verse three. So our song today has only two verses. Next Sunday, we'll be sharing the verse three. Of the song. So I'm talking about the two verses, the parable of the Lordship. So each one of the persons of the Trinity is being spoken of in a singular parable. 
In this parable of the, uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin, they were being sought after by the shepherd and the woman. They were hopelessly and helplessly lost. But in the next of the parable, the third stanza, what happens there? It says, the father just waits. That's amazing. He just waits. He doesn't go to search, but he just waits. And as he waits, the son comes to his senses and he says, I'm going back where? Home. Where I belong. I'm going back home. And he decides to go back and turns to the father and is greeted by the father and robed up in righteousness. So when you look at this, you realize the first two stanzas of this scripture, the lost sheep and the lost coin, we see the divine sovereignty of our God, whereby he is involved in doing the work, in searching, and bringing you back. But in the last stanza, it's human responsibility. If the son would have said, I will just stay there, we don't know what will have happened with the son, of which I will not talk about it this time, but next Sunday we'll be talking about that. So, Let's look at the parable of the lost sheep, our first stanza of our song, or the first verse. The work of the son. When, when we talk about the work of the son, as the Bible says, it's talk about the good shepherd and the sheep. And we know, who is the shepherd here? Jesus himself. Number one, the Bible mentioned that Jesus is the good shepherd. Because there are other shepherds, but Jesus is good. As we've sung from the songs here. The good shepherd, the Bible says, is a, is a good shepherd because he lays his life down for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. And then not only is he a good shepherd, he is the great shepherd. He's not only laid down his life for the sheep, or for us, as we can call ourselves a sheep, but has also risen so we serve a shepherd that has not only laid his life down as a sacrifice, but he has also risen up from the dead. And not only risen from the dead, but the Bible says he is now sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of you and I. Till today, that's what Jesus is doing. So that Ed can make it to heaven. <laughs> so that Myra can make it to heaven and be with him. That's what he does. So that you, you can put, you can name yourself in the blank, that I can make it to heaven. Why? If Jesus intercedes for you, will you fail really? I don't think so, but we'll make it. And not only is he a great shepherd, but the chief shepherd, the one who is coming back again. That's our Lord. He's not just left us, but he's looking forward to you to reunite with us and we can have a great delicious meal unlike the one we'll be having today. That's what it has in our lives. So we see the shepherd here is not leaving the 99 helpless and defenseless to their own demise. Because most people ask, okay, he's left the 99, then what happens to this 99 as he goes for the other one? You see in those days, shepherds will bring their sheep together in the evening communally. And many shepherds will bring their flock. So he was in the midst of other shepherds. Eh? They will bring their flock into one area. And all the shepherds will watch all the sheep communally. And then next day they will separate their flock. 
taking their own individual flocks to their feeding areas. Now you will ask, or you may say, Solomon, how do they separate the sheep? If we have like 10 shepherds, how will they know? How will they do this? It's amazing. I don't know how many of us have gone to the countryside, or have you ever been a herds boy, or done kind of a shepherding? But the thing is this. The shepherd had a song. Every shepherd had their own different song. Or they had a chant. So when they chant, they do a certain chant, the sheep will know, oh, we follow this guy. Or if they had a song, we follow this guy. In fact, John chapter 10, verse 27, talking about Jesus himself, he says, the sheep that are my own. It's not other people. The sheep that are my own, Hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus does. Every one of us that is in the fold, when Jesus speaks, you know this is the Lord speaking to me. There is no need of brands or identification marks like we see them, people using brands to separate. But just through the voice. Isaiah 53 verse 6. He says... All of us like sheep. He says, all, not some, yeah? All of us like sheep. So we are equated as what? Sheep. Have gone what? Have gone what? So we all fall short of the glory of God. That's what he says. We have turned each one to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wickedness of us all, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, to fall on him instead of us. When he says he lays his life down for the sheep. We, we do go astray, but he takes it all upon himself. Just some little character, character traits of a sheep. Sheep are like stupid. Do you know that? <laughs> yeah, and it's good when we laugh about that. I mean, they're stupid. Why? Are they, they are so dumb. They can't even find their own food or get water that is not that far away. The water may be there, but they can't get there. Maybe you, you can go and do your research when you visit the countryside and you realize, ooh, they're really stupid. <laughs> uh, they just kind of wander so easily and they get messed up. And you know what? The Lord was right in likening us to them. <laughs> That's not laughable, yeah? <laughs> yeah, he was right in likening us to them. And the shepherd Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Goes after the one who was wandering, foolishly finds him, and then says, hey, celebrate with me. He tells the other shepherds, I found the one that was lost just like he did for Zacchaeus. When somebody gets saved, guess what? There is rejoicing in heaven. There is rejoicing in heaven. There is something here that I wrote that... There was something on the shoulder of the great chief, good shepherd. And that was a wooden cross. You see, the shepherd became a sheep, or he became a lamb, and was sacrificed. Not simply did he go out and find the lost sheep, but more significantly, he died in your place. He died in my place. That's what God did for us. The good shepherd gives his life for the lamb. In John chapter 10, verse 11, what we've read. And now on the shoulder that bore the cross comes the sheep that was foolishly going astray. Meaning Jesus carries us 
upon his shoulder. Well, you might say, Solomon, if that be the case, if the shepherd chases the one who wandered off and there is great rejoicing in heaven, why not give him more reason for rejoicing and celebration? I can keep on going to my mess, come back, and he will do what? He will carry me and then rejoice. Keep on going to my mess, come back. You know what? That kind of thinking goes in the back of our minds when we are being tempted. And we, we, we fast John 9, 8, you know, when it says, if we confess our sins, freely, you will be able to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like, oh yeah, I will continue confessing and going back the same. But look at the small shepherd, King David, if you know about his story. He went astray, I mean, went straight to sin by committing adultery, sleeping with the woman who was not his wife, and then murdering the husband of the woman, then suddenly covering it up. And finally, realizing that he had sinned, he's talking about his weariness, he's talking about his pain. Psalms chapter 51, he says, Purify me with high soap, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, and be satisfied. Let the bones which you are broken rejoice. A little story about a sheep and a shepherd here is that if a sheep or a lamb will wander away habitually and keep on leaving the sight of the shepherd and go off into the area that could be potentially devastating and destructive, the shepherd will take that little lamb or that sheep and it will break its legs with the staff. That's what David is saying. The bones which you are broken may do what? May rejoice. So he will do that. Then the shepherd will carefully set the broken legs and take the lamb and carry it on his shoulders all the while the lamb was recovering from the broken bones. So sometimes God will break us so that we can be closer to him. We can get close to him. When the lamb was healed, because this lamb had a tendency to wander away, it grew in affection toward the shepherd. Closeness with the shepherd. And from now onwards, we'll never leave the sight of the shepherd. And sometimes we have to go through those broken moments so that we don't leave the sight of the shepherd. Sometimes when everything seems to be good, we feel like, ah, we can autopilot. But God will sometimes take us to those brokenness so that we may not leave the sight of the chief, the good, the great shepherd. Let me tell you not to wonder why. Let me tell you why not to wander away. Because it will be, that's what you feel. Yeah, the brokenness just coming. Not because the Lord is vindictive or angry toward you, but because he is loving and wants to save you from real damage or real damnation. He loves us so that he can't allow us to wander away and go astray. He'd rather break our legs, our lives, so that, I mean, we be able to connect with him. Our second stanza, or our second verse of the song, the parable of the lost coin. And this one speaks about the activity of the Spirit. So not only Jesus began working in our lives, but he allowed the Spirit to begin working as well. There's activity that the Holy Spirit does. And the woman here identify with that. 
It says, the spirit in the Old Testament is spoken of as being in a motherly context, brooding over the waters. And the spirit is used in Newta in the Greek New Testament, pneuma, hovering, mothering. Just a little bit of theology there, the kind of respect. So it's appropriate in this second stanza of the verse that the activity of the spirit is likened unto a woman searching to a lost coin. Of course, the Bible says there, she lit a lamp and then began to sweep as she searches for this. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You may ask, Solomon then, what's the big deal about losing a coin? I lose them every day. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I don't know about you. I lose them every day. But in the Hebrew household, when a woman was first married, she would take 10 coins and then string them together and then wear them across the forehead. Because everyone sees here, yeah? And that indicated that I have been taken. I'm married. Like us today, we've got the rings, yeah? That you see. Though some people don't respect this, but like, okay, I've been taken. And that's what the symbolism was here. And these girls will have often saved sometimes for months to get their 10 coins ready. Even years on occasion. That's why she really took time. No wonder she's searching frantically for the lost coin. It will be like a diamond ring <laughs> on your ring finger. I mean, you'll take all your time to search for it. A coin has worth, but if it's lost, it's worthless. That's the thing here. You might have a check made out of you, $1 million. Solomon can write for you $1 million check. But if you lost that check, even if it be, might be somewhere in your house, it's worthless. Until you get that check and you bank it in the bank. It's only when it's in your hand that it's valuable. And you know what? It's just like having a Lamborghini yeah? and the new Lamborghini. I'm, I'm not fond of many cars, but I just came up with Lamborghini. Maybe it's not your car. <laughs> Maybe your car is different. It's like you come and park it next to your parking lot or in your office and you admire it and it's so good. But you don't have the keys. You won't be able to enjoy it, yeah? And that's what it is. With the unsaved, lost person. If they don't have Jesus as the key, they won't be able to enjoy it. They may have all the potentials. They may have all the abilities. They may have all the talents, but it's worthless. Until Jesus comes in and they've got that key, then they will enjoy the potential they have. They will enjoy all the talents that they have. In fact, the Bible says, Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Wealth, fame, success. That's what people are looking for. But for faith is souls, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So we see the work of the Spirit here is sweeping frantically, sweeping our hearts. How? How does he do that? Lighting the light. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Lighting the light. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalms 119, 105. Psalms 119, 11. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my... So I need it for now and I need it for the future. So for me to be able to step into a place of my assignment, it is only the word of God that will bring that light. In fact, the Bible says the entrance of your word brings forth light. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Number two, searching. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We do not know the will of God, but when the Holy Spirit begins to do that, he reveals the mind of God for concerning our lives. And then when the search is done, the coin is found. I am found you're found. And then there is rejoicing that takes over. Which takes me to another one. God's joy. What about God's joy? Why is it being mentioned there? God's joy. According to this parable, what brings joy to heaven? What causes God and his angels to rejoice? It is when sinners repent, just like Zacchaeus, who stopped and said to the Lord, See, Lord, I am now giving half of my possession to the poor and I have, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will give back four times as much. Do you know why Jesus said today salvation is being, has come to your household? Because this guy repented. He said, I have been a cheat. I have been taking out of guys, robbing them. Yes, I'm a tax collector, but I've been robbing them. But today I've chosen to turn around. And that's why Jesus said, today, salvation has visited your house. God digs repentance when a sinner repents. God gets excited. I can get this much excited, but the heaven gets that much excited. God gets that much excited. If I can use human term, what brings a huge smile to the face of angels is when a sinner turns from their own ways. Celebration, joy, merrymaking. That's what happens in heaven is when someone's loss turns to Christ. Now, Jesus' point here is that since this is what the response of heaven is to the repentance of sinners, it ought to be the response of God's people on earth. We can celebrate. Yeah, that, that is one added in the fold. They were lost, but they have been found. And we can take joy and rejoice. The shepherd called his friend to rejoice with him at the recovery of the lost sheep. The woman called her family and neighbors to rejoice with her in the recovery of the lost coin. And we who already know Jesus Christ ought to break out in great rejoicing when the lost turn to Jesus. But even before that, this is a challenge to us, but even before that, we ought to be eager for their repentance. And I'm calling us to this. Just as the shepherd and the woman were so diligent and eager to go after that which was lost. How much eagerness do we have to go for the lost? That's a challenge upon us. Yeah, we say the good shepherd did it. The Holy Spirit does it. But also there is a mandate. Jesus say that all authority in heaven and earth have given. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples of all nations. So being called to that place, not only does Jesus has done that upon you, he's called us not to be selfish. What I have received, he searched for me. Can I also help others to come to the realization in developing relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you long to see the lost turn to Jesus? These are things you have to ask yourself. Do you long to? If you long to, you'll be eager to share 
with your neighbors, with your colleagues, with your family that you come from who do not know the Lord? Are you eager and excited to see this church overflowing with sinners who are repenting? When I talk about this church, I'm not just talking about Midtown, but the body of Christ entirely, when they are overflowing people of God. Will you joyously join hands in prayer with someone who is lost? Pray for them. One thing, I don't believe God will lose full-scale revival on us until we not only rejoice at the repentance of sinners, but we come, we, we come to a place of outright eagerness for it. Just as the shepherd was desperate to find the lost sheep, just as the woman was desperate to find the last coin. You see, that's the point Jesus wanted the Pharisees to understand. God doesn't just sit passively by and wait for sinners to repent. His spirit has gone out into all the earth, searching for the lost, calling them to come home. I want to just rise up on our feet, wherever we are. And you know your family better than I do. You know people that are close to you and do not know the Lord. And I just pray. I mean, you, you can pray as the worship team leads us in this song. You just pray in your heart that from today onwards that God will give you wisdom and boldness on how to go along and be able to share whatever you carry within you so that they can also see the light that you've already seen. They can experience Jesus. You may be the only person that is planting that seed, the Bible says, but there's someone who comes and waters it, and God brings the increase. That's what happens. I may just be a seed carrier, and someone comes and shares, and then water it, and then God brings an increase. It's a mandate upon our lives. And if you're here and you do not know the Lord, God is calling you in this fold. Be part of it, because no, it's not for Solomon to rejoice. I will rejoice, but the heavens will rejoice. God himself will get excited when you come in the fold. Yeah. So, let me just make a prayer as they do this. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. As our good shepherd, as our great shepherd, as our chief shepherd, you lay down your life for us. Thank you for our receiving us, Lord, to yourself. And not only that, you say that you've risen again and you're making intercession on our behalf. And then you're coming back for us. We pray that, Lord, we may also go forth and share the same to our dear ones who are in our lives, in our spheres of influences. Thank you for your wisdom and your counsel, Lord God, because your spirit is at work in our lives to cause us to fulfill all that you've designed for us. So I release every one of us today here, Lord, that we will have the boldness, we'll have the wisdom, we'll have your counsel to be able to go forth. And then that I'm not receiving, we pray that Jesus will lighten them, Lord. So the entrance of your word brings forth light, that your light will begin to shine forth.